The Lean Braves reporting for duty, bringing you physical and health education with a noble purpose. You're listening to the Lean Braves radio show at theleanbraves.com. We are Avengers of Health. Welcome, Braves. I'm Ron Jones, and I'm back with Michael Campy. We're the Lean Berets, and we're recording a show on freedom today. Michael, did you come up with a catchy title for the show? Um, no, it's a bit long, but we could use Jello Biafra's quote, freedom scares you because it implies responsibility. Uh, yeah, that actually ties into, you know, a lot of things that we've read by Eric Hoffer and um, other notables. I... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've done this, Michael, but it, it, and of course we are going to be talking about freedom today, but I have a book uh, one of my English professors recommended early on in my collegiate career to get a thesaurus of quotations, uh-huh. and she encouraged me to add quotations in my papers because it would make me look smarter, even if I wasn't. And so, oh, hell yeah. And uh, it's actually a really good writing tip for those of you wanting to write. Uh, I would highly recommend it. It's I've got a paperback version, but there are thousands of quotes in here. You can look up by name of the author, or you can look up by uh, uh, content title. So I looked up Freedom an Individual, and I came up with uh, some actually very good quotes here to start off the show. And I thought... Uh, Let's see, there's one by Malcolm X here, and uh, you know I like to read Malcolm X. You can't Mm -hmm. separate peace from freedom because no one can be at peace unless he has freedom. Malcolm X from Malcolm X Speaks in 1965. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you, Michael had sent me some stuff to read prep for the show, and I started to breeze through it, and I just... I just didn't have the chi and the bandwidth to do it. I lost a, a good racing buddy Sunday who died on his mountain bike descending out of the Santa Monica Mountains, Roy Wallach. Mm-hmm. And Roy was a pretty well-known writer as a sports journalist. And he wrote for the LA Times, uh, Outside Magazine, Men's Health, and he had raced with me and Steve Ilg and Keith Kosman a couple of times in the infamous Furnace Creek 508-mile ultra-cycling event which has now been moved to Nevada due to a lack of freedom in California. It was too hard to run the race here. So it was another event that went elsewhere, like the Rose Bowl. Uh, Those are all freedom-related topics. But anyway... um, Just a a side note on on that that particular race. A friend of mine wrote that. Oh, did he? And her, she. Okay. And her father was a... Uh, ultra-distance motorcycle racer. Interesting. And he suggested, um, as a, a food source, as a, a nutrition source, um, it's one of those diet drinks that comes in a can. I can't remember what it's called. Insure? Yeah. Yeah, a senior's and, um, drink those. And when she got done, she decided she was going to make a diet commercial. And she started out by saying it's easy to lose pounds on the Insure diet. Just drink nothing but Insure for four days and ride your bike for 500 miles across Death Valley. That'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) That will do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. nutrition is a whole uh, interesting uh, uh, interesting 
issue to deal with ultra racing. But anyway, I, I've been a little, I don't know if I've been depressed, but I've been very reflective. So uh, I did not read all that stuff. I just couldn't get my head around it. I did look up some quotes, though. But yeah. There, well, there's there, one other thing. I mean, we should just, I mean, we want to keep this out front. So it'll be stuck in people's minds as far as sounding more smarter than you actually are. Um, I have memorized quotes. And I can trot out something like, uh, you know, Kafka, Franz Kafka in a 1912 letter to Oswald Spengler suggested that we read the type of books that act as an axe for the frozen sea inside of us. And all of a sudden, I sound a lot smarter than I actually am. Mm. Well, you know, that's true. I mean, a lot of people will read only what agrees with their narrative or only what makes them comfortable or supports the way they already believe. I I just got a book. I saw it referenced quite a few times, and it was a book written by um, one of the 60s radicals that inspired Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, and it was a pretty far-left piece, and I that's not really my political foundation. However, I thought um, this would be a good thing to read. And the book, the title of the book is called Radicals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't read it yet, but it, it's it's in queue on my shelf. Well, here's a here's a quote from one of those articles okay. about it called uh, Why Freedom Became Free Dumb in America. Mm-hmm. And he says, the logic of why Canada and Europe provide basics to all goes like it's about freedom, but in a much, much deeper, more elegant, thoughtful, sophisticated, and beautiful way than Americans understand. And then after that, he says, if I'm fighting for the basics, bitterly battling everyone else for the food, water, money, medicine to survive, what does that make me? I become embittered, hostile, angry, resentful. I grow callous and cruel. I become suspicious and distrustful and isolated and alone. I don't grow as a person. I shrink and wither into my worst self. And he then goes on to say, the Greeks would have said, I grow weak morally, intellectually, socially, culturally, and weak people like that are not capable of sustaining a democracy. It's it, Those are points well taken. Now, is this is this a, a pitch toward a... a a modified socialism type of approach? um it's not really he's just basically i mean we we've come to distrust the word socialism because it was associated with communism and that's like uh kind of like associating uh i don't know a chocolate raspberry tort with a pile of dog shit eventually everybody'll <laughs> hate chocolate raspberry tort yeah but they have nothing to do with one another mm-hmm. communism and socialism are vastly different ideas uh democratic socialism provides for people, which then gives them the freedom to go out and perhaps question some things that are being told to them, or perhaps, I don't know, actually becoming better people. And like he said in the article, it's not really a pitch for anything. Mm-hmm. He's just saying that if you provide basics for people, <clears throat> then freedom has a much better chance to prosper and to flower. It's really and if every if everybody's fighting for every dime they make for every bite of food that they get, then it's awfully hard to become your better self in an environment like that. It's it's really a rational argument or if nothing else a, a rational point of discussion. I know as <clears throat> I've 
pontificated about our rapid losses of freedom here this year mm-hmm. um, due to one thing or the other, which we have talked about previously. Um, some of my friends in Europe um, have a different view of socialism and, and a more positive outlook on what it can provide instead of what it takes away. I think mm-hmm. it, I think we have come to a crossroads and a point where we should be having discussions like this even if we don't agree, because while we have a lot of freedom and we, we're very proud in America to state how free we are, in so many ways we're quite bound. Um, and of course, with the, the stimulus checks going out, there are all kinds of historic warnings on accepting free money without work, and that that's the other side that flares up in me. I'm very mm-hmm. concerned about the negative impacts of a more socialistic type system where you're giving people things that they don't work for. Well, once again, that's, um, it's, it's kind of backwards. How in so? that we never developed a society in this country that understood that certain basic requirements were made of you in a free society. We developed a society that had this kind of this big rambunctious go for broke, everybody's an individual sort of model, and never really developed a sense of social cohesion, never developed a sense of what it actually meant to belong to a group, a free group, but a group that understood that that, like Bellow said, requires, it implies a responsibility. There is a lot of responsibility that goes with freedom. And one one of the things that I taught my elementary PE kids when I was doing elementary PE was that if you can't handle your freedom, someone will take it away from you. Meaning mm-hmm. there, there are responsibilities that go along with your free choice. And, mm-hmm. and, and as we've discussed in previous shows, a lot of these rules are unwritten. They're unwritten rules of society. And just because it's not against the law doesn't mean you should be doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and and there is a lot of responsibility. If you don't take personal responsibility, then the whole thing can just melt down into a pile of dung. So, um, it's well, just, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, that's one of the you know the things that they um, that both of these articles argue for. <laughs> um, taking they, taking personal what, responsibility with your freedom. Oh yeah. Okay. Like a, a list of one of the things that he um, he put up the um, Dave Pollard in the, his How to Save the World website, the one that uh, what price freedom? He said it's in the collective interest of everyone to respect the agreements that are built on mutual trust, and some examples of that are contribution to shared services, abiding by laws, a unified response to crisis allow governments, assuming the governments are viable, to do their best, and universal rights and responsibilities, and that we agree to respect a broad set of rights and freedoms for everyone, to amicably and peacefully resolve differences when those rights and freedoms are perceived to conflict. So what what does that mean in in a way that other people can understand it, maybe myself included? (laughs) Well, for instance, uh, you know, uh, respect a broad set of rights freedoms for everyone and to amicably and peacefully resolve differences. We have, we're so far away from that. I oh, mean, yeah, if, I would agree. You know, if you disagree with a left side guy or a right side guy on the street, 
mean, I, I was actually going to start a company that people would hire to remove campaign signs from people's lawns. I thought I could make a good deal of money doing that. And I was going to charge $5 per Biden sign and $10 per Trump sign because the Trump people are more likely to shoot you when you try to take their sign. Well, um, you sound like a, a left-wing commie bastard. Well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Disguised as a libertarian. I don't... I, well, I'm having fun with the topic, of course, but I um, I remember when um, Ross Perot was running for president, and uh-huh. and I was really into his charts and his just rational way of looking at the numbers part of it, and... and mm-hmm. He wasn't the most popular candidate, but I put a sign out in my yard and I came out the next day and it was gone. So I'm like, what the hell? You know, maybe, you know, I, you know, who knows? So I went down to the booth, I got another sign, put it up and it was gone. And this, this went on like, I, I must have put six or seven signs out there uh-huh. and every day it was gone. I was just livid about it, you know? So I don't know. I would not want somebody taking a sign out of my front yard. However, as a. No, I was just thinking about a way to profit off the. Just to make money, you you American consumer, capitalist you. bastard, you capitalist cap- pig, you capitalist bastard. <laughs> but I mean, it's a, when I was in uh, in college, I, one of my jobs for the college newspaper was to go interview all the um, the people at the different campaign booths. Oh, that'd be a fascinating gig. Yeah. Oh, it was great, and um, it was at the time when the, I think it was Jerry Falwell was running for office. Okay. I think it was him. And I went first, you know, because being the left-wing commie bastard that I am, I went first to Ralph Nader's booth. (laughs) Priorities, man. (laughs) They could not answer a single question. Their response to almost every single thing I asked them was, well, we can't speak for Mr. Nader. Um, Really? And after that, I went over to Jerry Falwell's booth. And once again, I I think it's Jerry Falwell. It might have been one of those other religious figures. And I was talking to them, and they had really concise, really well-worded responses to every single question I asked them. That's interesting. And but how- when I was done talking to them, I thought, you know, if I didn't hate this guy so much, I'd totally vote for him based on how he is being represented. Right, right, right. Well, you- and I would never, I mean, based on how he was represented in the booth, I would never vote for Ralph Nader. That was interesting. Well, you, you know, you, you think you got to have some kind of stock uh, statements there. I mean, you can't always defer back to the person who has to answer formally. Well, you've got to have some, I mean, you've got to, I mean, if you're going to argue for something, you've got to be able to back up your argument. Yeah. Well, b- back, and, back, on the, back on the freedom thing, and I, I you know, I've been very, very concerned this year, well, for a number of reasons, like many people, but we've just lost so much freedom so quickly. Uh-huh. Now, now we can argue it was for a good cause. However, here in California, we've been doing some pretty draconian lockdowns and masking and restrictions, and it's just not working. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked before. I say I would say you know most pe- most people were pretty compliant um, for many many months, and it, it has not worked. And mm-hmm. so you know one thing we know about government historically is um, you know once they get their hooks into something, they rarely go backwards. They, right. they just and and this is this you can plot this kind of progression also in 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 radical takeover movements as well. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how Hitler did it. 
You know, it was one step at a time. It's not like they rode over the horizon, everything vanished in 24 hours. It was a very sequential progression. Mm-hmm. Well, and, one of those points, a unified response to crisis, is explained as we agree right. to subordinate our personal interest to some extent to the collective interest in times of recognized crisis. Well, here's... Okay. He here, lists wars, depressions, natural disasters, and we could also put pandemics on there. Yeah, but we were... That would we were lied, have to have been a... Go ahead. What? Go ahead. Well, that would have to have been a tacit agreement uh, universally across the population for any kind of control of the pandemic to work. And it was not. It was not tacitly agreed upon. Well, we weren't told the truth from the get-go. And this is this is what happens when you don't have history in your rearview mirror and, and guiding you into the future, because it was all laid out what we needed to do. I know I've reported on this stuff for months. Uh-huh. And we didn't do it. We did. Well, right, and that's underneath um, allow governments to do their best, assuming the government has the collective interest at heart. You know, Rand without Paul, that did, element, did you then s- you know, there's, I mean, if you don't believe that the government is, has your best interest at heart, and the government actually does not have your best interest at heart, then there's no way you're going to get a tacit agreement to everybody to subordinate their personal interests to the collective interest. Well, I think because a, nobody believes there is a collective interest. I, 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 well, the collective interest is making money and and ripping the people off. I mean, I, I think it, by December 2020, a lot of people have less faith in the government. Not that I had an overwhelming amount of faith from the get-go in January. <clears throat> but did, did well, you see Rand Paul's video to Senate uh, yesterday where at the end of the speech, he, he had some good points, but at the end of the speech, he said basically that the U.S. government has been the biggest hindrance to the economy of, of anything that's happened this year. And I thought it was kind of an interesting point. Um, the people that are trying to protect us, and or should be, are actually in our way. Um, and mm-hmm. Well, it depends on their in, are they in the way of what, though? I mean, are, if you're defining freedom as the ability to destroy with impunity for your own benefit, then I don't think that's freedom. It's, um, I think I forget who it was that mentioned it, but uh, they said basically this is kind of covers all the bases. Your right to throw a punch ends at my nose. Right. Um, so, I mean, if there is not a sense of shared response, if there's not a sense of shared responsibility, then falling back on the idea, oh, well, that person is free so they can do whatever they want. That person is free so they can destroy vast laws of pristine wilderness, which we're about to do up in the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge, um, that that person is free to make as much money as they want despite the cost to the people who are basically paying with their lives for that person's freedom to make money. It has to be, it has to be a collective interest. It has to be rational people who understand the nature of what would constitute freedom. It can't be, oh, I can just do anything I want. Because as soon as you get there, you're done. Right. Well, let's let's come back to the collective good, because I think a lot of people now are, are starting to act out that the proverbial uh, fist is now mm-hmm. contacting my nose, meaning the people mm-hmm. that have businesses that are pissed off that they can't open and do business when the customers want them to open, and now they're mm-hmm. going bankrupt, and they're out of savings, they're out of loans, or there's nothing left to fall back on after New Year's. 
And a lot of these places, you know, they they run uh, off the, you know, the profits they make during the holiday season. And we, we you know, mm-hmm. blew through Thanksgiving, and now we're into Christmas, and now they're saying they don't want us to go out until, you know, after New Year's. Uh, and, you know, at least here in Los Angeles, they're looking at a hard shutdown for the whole month of January. So that fist is contacting people's faces and snapping their head back, and they're going to come back out and start swinging. Because at this point, there's nothing to lose. Okay, but what you have there is a disparate response to crisis. Well, it is what it is. Well, no, but I mean, if you had a government that was actually interested in making things better for the people, that would be part of the thing. Those businesses that are going under would not have been hung out to dry. Um, People who are going to be losing their homes come December 31st when the moratorium on evictions uh, dries up are going to be, would not be hung out to dry if there was a unified response by a caring, concerned government. But there wasn't. So many, many millions of the PPE money that was supposed to go to small businesses went to large businesses. Right. Businesses who not only took the money, but then laid off their employees despite it. So there was no unified response top down. There was a disparate response that stretched across a vast array of different supposed crisis intervention things. And nobody thought about, well, like your little uh, cafe, the Saugus Cafe. No government official gave a fuck about the Saugus Cafe, but they do give a fuck about the movies that are filming a block away. So that's that's a non-unified response. Right. It's a non-linear response to say, let's give these people some, but not these people. It was like there was a, you know, a, a Simpsons episode once where aliens had taken over the body of Gore and um, whoever was running against Al Gore. And one of the scenes was they were standing up in front of a crowd, and one of the guys said, abortions for nobody. And the crowd go, boo. And then the other guy said, well, abortions for everybody. And the crowd went, boo. And they went back to the first guy and said, abortions for some, but not for others. And everybody went, yay. <laughs> and it's been that kind of response. It's been, you know, death to some, but not to others. It's been death to small businesses who, by all rights, should have received a fair amount of that money that didn't get any. I'm pretty sure that the Saugus Cafe got a pittance. Yeah, so as far as the PPE is concerned, compared to say some larger like airlines. Yeah, so so back to your original points, freedom for what? Mm-hmm. You know, because if if that if that represents freedom, then we're bound and chained here. You know, well, uh, no, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't represent freedom. What it represents is a uh, uh, a, a, and I, I hate to use this term because it makes it sound kind of like. Conspiracy, yeah, um, like a, a power structure that has nothing but its own power and prosperity as its driving force. So, if you have a power structure like that, it does not care about the Saugus Cafe. It does care about a movie company that pumps untold millions of dollars in tax money into the system, and an, but, and, and it and will al- save things like that, and also an agenda. And, a, and an agenda. Well, there, yeah, there is an agenda, but it's not an agenda that favors the population generally. It's an agenda that favors a power structure that has, like I said, nothing more than its own interests at heart. Right. It really 
don't care. No, I and, agree. And, and, and for us to say, for instance, argue that, you know, that, that it's sad that the Saugus Cafe is closing, yes, and then we can, uh, you know, extend that argument to, well, if they hadn't shut everything down, the Saugus Cafe would be okay. But that, that's not the point. The point is the Saugus Cafe should have been okay regardless of whether we shut everything down because the people at the top should have fed that down. Right. They should have made it a point to ensure that the Saugus Cafe doesn't go under. They should have made it a point to ensure that your local grocery store doesn't go under. They should have made it a point to ensure that all the gyms that have closed down since this thing started didn't go under. They should not have been pumping billions of dollars into airlines and hotel chains. And we know that a lot of the people that, I would say most of the people that made a lot of money this year, and some people made far more money, are, are the bigger mm-hmm. operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and some individual people and small companies did really well because they just happened to be in the right place at the right time or had the right strategy. So, uh-huh. But f- all in all, I mean, you know, the box stores did well. The, the online oh, yeah. companies did well. Well, you're not going to get a lot of online orders from the Saugus Cafe, which is, if you're <laughs> wondering why we're talking about this, it's the oldest restaurant in Los Angeles County, and it's right down the street from me. It was founded in 1888, and they're in danger of going out of business because they, you know, they were serving people on the sidewalk, the traffic going by, and now they can't even do that. So, you know, one of the things you brought out before, Michael, is to do like Rogue Fitness did when, when this thing all hit the fan, they stopped making fitness equipment and started making PPE, and this the CEO or president of the company started contracting with local restaurants. I think they're from Ohio. And, mm-hmm. and employing those people because his people were working around the clock from from my gathering of the information, and they needed food, and he didn't want them going out and endangering themselves. So he just had the food brought in, not by the box stores, but by the right. local the local people. Because and, he has a sense of shared responsibility. He said, if we can all help each other, why not? Right, and I think that, you know, why why couldn't we hire the Saugus to Cafe to at least contribute to the production crews that are filming TV and, and, and movies in Santa Clarita Valley, where I live? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe they don't have to replace the catering companies that are, in, you know, have formal agreements with the studios, but what a, what a great way to share the load here and also make a PR statement. You know, if you just want to talk about positive PR, like, okay, well— this studio is going to contract with the Saugus Cafe while they're on production here for three to four weeks, and that's going to save the Saugus Cafe for three months, you know, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to bring all their people back just to keep up with the demand because there's 300 people on the set, you know, and it, I didn't see anything like that happening here. No. Um, and it, it's just it's just tragic, you know, so... One of the things that's come out, at least with me, the things that I've been stating, and and oftentimes the people that are in disagreement, is that, you know, there is no one solution to the problems from this year, whether we're talking about the civil unrest or COVID. And Mm -hmm. I think it's on the COVID side, we're going to need three to five years at least to determine what went wrong and what should have been done and what was done that did work. And, And it might take longer than that, because even the 1918 influenza pandemic, they're still trying to figure out that, and they're still not agreeing on social distancing and masking and a lot of things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's if if anyone tells you that they absolutely know the answer solution, I, I would call bullshit on that. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of opinions on this based on history, and they're pretty strong. But I, 
even at, another, even at know, that, there's another, no one thing that's going to fix another it. Another part of the list is abiding by laws. There's a guy named Dr. John Campbell who has been reporting on the COVID situation since it started back in January. You've cited and, him a lot. What's his latest thing now? Oh, he's just talking about the effect the vaccine is having and the new outbreak in UK. So what's he's okay, well? Let's talk about that because it involves freedom, whether we're getting it back or losing more. So. Well, let me just say, yeah. The anecdote goes like this: I mean, abiding by laws. He was one day he came on, and he said he was absolutely shocked because up until the day before, he had thought that America, by and large, was a law-abiding country. Right. And then he found out that in Texas they had mandated that people wear masks and stay at home, and people had completely ignored them and just gone out and did what they want anyways. And he was in shock because he thought we were law-abiding people. When did you say this? In December? Oh, this was months ago. Oh, months ago. Okay. Well, that... Yeah, okay, now, on to the next... What, what did you want to talk about him? Well, I can see his concern if this happened months and months ago because, you know, we at least here in California, maybe not in Texas. But for the most part, people were in good compliance. You know, we didn't go a lot of places, and we only went where we needed to go. And if we did go someplace, we had a mask. If we went to a restaurant, we wore the mask in line and, you know, sat at the table like we're supposed to. I mean, for the most part, people did what they were supposed to do. Right. And this went on for months and months and months. So I, I get his point on that. So what's your next point with him? Well, no, I mean, that, that, was, that was the point with him. I mean, you had a question about him or— well, no, I, my question was, if he had just said that, I would push back a oh, little bit oh, on right. that, because right. I know in, in three weeks in 1918, people were getting the flu fatigue and were losing mental stability. So it's no uh-huh. surprise to me they don't want to put up with this bullshit anymore, because it's right. been going on, you know, all year. So, uh-huh. But if we're talking about in spring or early summer, well, that's a different story, you know, because people should have been doing the max to to comply and do whatever they needed to do. Now, yeah, well, that's yeah, that's when he first said that. Okay, okay, I get that point. So what was the next, because uh, he was talking about the vaccine now and the effects of it, because I'm very concerned about that. Oh, well, that's what he was talking about most recently, yeah. And he does a very, very, I mean, definitely put a link to him in the show notes. I'll send you a link to his YouTube channel. No, let's do and I'll hook up these two articles you referenced to, What Price Freedom and then uh, How... You know what the the and other why ones freedom became freedom. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's because his reporting is very fact based. He doesn't make things up. He basically accumulates a series of facts based on scientific papers, on health organizations, on people that he knows that are in the field, and he puts show notes down underneath every single report he does. It links to all these things that he's referenced in the course of the program, and he also doesn't take any political position. He's a physician? He, well, he's an ex-teacher uh, um, and a, a, a nurse, I think. Yeah, he, but he, comes, he comes out of the medical profession somehow, if I remember. Yeah, a medical background for okay. years and years. Okay. Uh, he's written he's, yeah, several he, books on yeah, anatomy he's, and physiology he's an and older, epidemiology. He's an older guy, probably 70 plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right. So, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just pointing out what's going on. Okay. And he's not taking a position on it. Right, right. Um, he was pleased as punch when the vaccine started getting released. Um, but that was just just prior. The first dose of uh, the vaccine came to the U.K. just a heartbeat ahead of the new strain right, that right. has recently broken out. Yeah, which isn't any more deadly, I heard. It's just, it's just easier to get. 
you know? Yeah, much more contagious. I'm starting to wonder, though, is there any way to really avoid this? I mean, you know, this is a conversation I've had with a couple of people. Like, we've become very insulated to mortality and discomfort with mm-hmm. medications and medical technology and all this, but uh, eventually nature comes knocking at your door, and you don't have a choice whether or not to open the door or not, you know? Well, I hope that this doesn't tear anybody down or destroy their hopeful little lives, but there is absolutely, unquestionably, no way to avoid this. Yeah. And if it's not this one, it'll be the next one. Well, there you go. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, you know... This yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get it. Right. But like my daughter said, she goes, well, you know, I don't want to get it either, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to live my life. Right. To the extent that it's possible, you know, considering the situation. Then here's a rhetorical uh, scenario. Like, okay, so if it's going to work its way no matter what, whether we have a vaccine or whatever, um, why do we ruin the economy in the process? We should have just rolled with it and dealt with the deaths, you know? Um, the deaths would have been exponentially higher. Well, there had... Had actual steps been taken initially to prevent the spread, the deaths would have been exponentially lower. We're looking at closing in on probably 500,000 by late January, early February. Yeah, but the the death rate is still low compared to 19. Well, yeah, 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 but that's, I think that's a false argument. How's that? I mean, if the, well, if the death rate is low compared to something else. Right then that does not diminish the fact that there is a death rate and there is a problem. Yeah, so but I'm, comparing... I'm talking about in general, in, in terms of pandemic <clears throat> mortality. You know, I think the death, mm-hmm. the death rate is the hard number to look at. And, and there are a lot of death rates that were higher than COVID for just standard um, health issues year in, year out that are fairly consistent in terms of their death rate per 100,000 population, whether it's heart Let disease or whatever. Let me give you this, whatever. then. Um, cited from uh, the uh, What Price Freedom article, the 1918 flu pandemic killed 50 million, 700,000 in the U.S. The average annual flu kills about 500,000, 50,000 in the U.S. Heart diseases and strokes kill 18 million a year, 800,000 in the U.S. Lung diseases, including pulmonary disease and lung cancer, kill 5 million a year, 300,000 in the U.S. And pneumonia and other respiratory infections kill a total of 3 million a year, 160,000 in the U.S., so if that, I mean, the, the, the death rate is obviously a, a valid concern if it's, say, not as high as something else, but it's what is facing us right now at this moment. Yeah, but the response is, even with all the deaths that have happened, uh-huh. the response is disproportionate to the threat, because the real threat is what's looming next year when millions of people are potentially starving in the streets and have no shelter and mm-hmm. have nothing else to lose except to wreak havoc and violence to get food. Mm-hmm. And that's the the uncomfortable part that people refuse to accept in this country. Most people will not talk about that. They, they, they're getting their paycheck somehow. They're working from home. They're getting by. They're watching their Netflix, and I don't. I don't think it's that big of a concern. They just think that. Well, I think we're just insulated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a long time since we had a world war where we were really dealing with high levels of mortality. You know, we mm-hmm. we've had skirmishes and wars on other lands that were someplace else, quote unquote. 
Mm-hmm. And those people do that for us, meaning the the military. Yeah, and I mean that we're just insulated. Again, it we are insulated. We're insulated. We're cut off. We have no sense of shared responsibility. We have no sense of a common interest, as you discussed quite a lot, like in the in reference to World War II, how we had a we we gathered together as a nation, and that's just not happening. Speaking um, of starvation, let's inject another quote. Better starve free than be a fat slave. Aesop. <laughs> Aesop, the dog and the wolf, fables from about 6th century B.C. Mm-hmm. So here's another one that's rather disturbing. Now you talk about taking freedom back because that's what the conversation is in some groups at the moment in December 2020. Freedom mm-hmm. suppressed and again regained bites with keener fangs than freedom never endangered. Cicero mm-hmm. wrote that. Deificisus, 44 B.C. But I guess one of the things we would have to do in order to make this a, um, a conversation would be to come up with a fairly concise definition of what freedom really is. I had suggested to you that a book by Andrew Bacevich, who wrote a book, the book was called The Limits of Power, and in that he discussed the concept of freedom, and he said, true freedom was lost when the definition was changed from what it was to the freedom to buy things. That's a really good point, because I don't think we have a clear definition of what freedom is in America. And I think we, we, we do feel like freedom to buy our stuff and to watch our television and do our entertainment, you know, but there's a price to pay for freedom. And I've read over and over and over again that freedom cannot be really passed down, that every generation has to earn it. And oh, I, yeah. I think what's happened is we've been kind of cruising here on the previous generation's hard labor. And all we've mm-hmm. earned is like more money to buy more stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't really well, I think that's that, what the, the, the thought leaders had in mind when they warned us of that. No. One of the things I used to do early, um, it was kind of a, a passive-aggressive protest. And um, they used to have those little yellow stickers that said, support our troops, that would go on the back of people's cars. Yeah. Every time I saw one of those on the back of a huge, gas-guzzling SUV, they were magnetic, which made this easy. I would take it off the back of the car and stick it over the gas tank. <laughs> so that the next time those people filled up with gas, they'd know what they were supporting. <laughs> Their right to drive that huge gas-guzzling car. <laughs> that's <laughs> and that's, that's, the, you know, that's the, the depth to which what we call freedom is descended. That, that's an example of what we used to call in high school constructive vandalism. Uh, call what? Constructive vandalism. Yes. Well, here's I'm a some... constructive vandalism and an arrested juvenile delinquent. Here's something about freedom and buying it, and and Seneca wrote this, and I just I really have liked um, the things that he wrote over the years. Freedom can't be bought for nothing. If you hold or precious, you must hold all else of little worth. And that's what he wrote. Uh, mm-hmm. So, well, there was. Um, I was actually considering starting a group at one point. I realized that it's actually pathetic to 
try to get people together via Facebook. <clears throat> but the group was going to be called the Wildings, and that's stolen directly from Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. And the motto of the Wildings <clears throat> was to live passionately, fight ferociously, and love unconditionally, all in defense of the natural world. Well, we still can in the last few days remaining. We can what? Well, we still can in the last few days remaining. <laughs> Maybe you should revisit exactly. the group. You know, Redo? Yeah, I've, Facebook groups are interesting. I, I've started a few and bailed out of all of them. I, I'm, in a f- yeah. I'm in a few now that are okay, but they always devolve into this, like, just sharing stupid pet tricks of fitness. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. and meaningless martial arts. That just seems to be where where all the Facebook <laughs> groups go eventually. <laughs> they do, kind of. Huh? <laughs> so I don't I don't pay them too much attention. I'm in one knife group though. I I like the knife group because they mm-hmm. they're very passionate about knives. And of course they have way nicer knives than, than I do. Um but I, I enjoy their knowledge of cuddlery and just mm-hmm. weapons in general. So anyway. Yeah to have those people on the team. Hoffer, Hoffer had a couple great quotes on freedom, and we like Eric Hoffer quite a bit. Unless a man has the talents to make something of himself, freedom is an irksome burden. And, you know, he he wrote a lot. He wrote that in True Believer, which we've both read, mm-hmm. that, published in 1951. And he, he writes a lot about, you know, if you're... A lot of times it's the people that have had the freedom to fail and failed miserably that are leading mass movements because they want to displace their own personal responsibility and blame other people for their failures. And on failure, Hoffer also wrote in The Ordeal of Change, published in 1964, there can be no real freedom without the freedom to fail. And that's a pretty hard line that um, a lot of people will still hold today. you got to be careful of removing the freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what a lot of Americans associate with uh, socialism slash communism, whatever you want to call it. They don't want this guarantee that everybody gets, you know, their weekly pork chop, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it takes away well, the incentive to, to rise above and strive for excellence. Just on the, you know, on the... <clears throat> Brief departure into the world of socialism. Yeah, I've had quite a few discussions with people re socialism, and um, I asked them, you know, in the event that there was a fire, would you like the fire department to come and help you out? Yeah. If your house was broken into, would you like the police to come help you out? If you decided you wanted to drive to the store, are you happy that the roads are paved and maintained? If you want to get a book, are you happy that there's a library available for that book? And if you are you answer yes to any of these questions, then you're already living in a semi-socialist environment. Mm-hmm. These things are provided for you. And it, it, that, that, so, I mean, if you argue against socialism, then you have to argue against paved roads, fire departments, police departments, libraries, and everything else that's given to you as part of this contract. Well, that doesn't make sense, because then in a true democracy, you don't have any services? You, there's there's no contribution to greater good, and everybody just chops their own roads and prints their own Well, no, books. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you argue against socialism mm-hmm. and yet choose to selectively make use of the things that socialism has provided for you, roads, 
libraries, fire departments, police departments. That's been provided for you. So if you choose to make use of those things and then argue that you're against socialism, you're being incongruous. You're being disingenuous. Mm -hmm. You're lying to yourself if you don't think we already have a semi-socialist environment. I mean, what what is the U.S. military but a, the, one of the biggest socialist operations on on the planet? Mm-hmm. Everything is given to them. <clears throat> they don't. I mean, you know, the U.S. military doesn't pay for things; we pay for it for them. Right? They're a, they're they're a, they're a welfare operation. Mm-hmm. So I, guess I mean, I, you, I, I guess you can't I... rationally argue against socialism and then ignore the fact that there is socialism that is providing things that make your life easier. I guess I, I can only get my head around part of that because it just and <clears throat> and the reason is I'm just ignorant of political science to a certain degree. I just I, I'm not quite comprehending everything you're saying, but I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm getting I'm getting part of it, and I I think a lot of people would probably be in my position. It's complicated. It is complicated. It is, you know, I've gotten a lot of criticism for talking about national socialism with the Third Reich, but that's what they called themselves, and that's what the U.S. Right, government called about themselves. That. Yeah, we did that, off offline. But it's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not rewriting history. It's what they called themselves. If you don't think they were national socialist, a socialist, well, let's, then let, let's let people know what we came up to. And it's a, <clears throat> I have a concept that I call lamp post arguments. Yeah. And a lamp post argument is, for instance, you hold a book up in the cop. The title of the book is National Socialism, etc., etc. Right. Right? And you say, this is the book I'm reading from. And then people argue about the title. Which they That's did. That's a lamp post thing. That's you pointing and say, hey, there's a lamp post. And somebody say, no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's absolutely pointless. And it's, once again, it's a false equivalency. Okay. Yeah. You're not arguing for... No. Socialism or national socialism. You're merely pointing out that that's the title of the book. Well, that's what they call themselves. So, I mean, you know, we, we can <clears throat> we can write a critical analysis of how that was part of their big lies. I mean, I, I would be happy to mm-hmm. have that discussion. But the fact of the matter is, that's the title of the, the damn book. <laughs> right. <laughs> you didn't make it up. You didn't say, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll come up with a new title so I can bother people. It, it's what they or, call themselves, and they 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 were against communism, and you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm probably in over my head a little bit and all that stuff, but it's been pretty fast. It's it's been fascinating to examine. I just feel like a res- a responsibility, if nothing else, just for myself, mm-hmm. as this freedom is just vanishing, bonitas left and right. I need to look about. Uh, look about history and and see like well, okay what happened when freedom uh, was taken that radically like what was the result of that and I I'm seeing some very alarming. Well, here's another another quote from the um, <clears throat> what price freedom is the end of the article he says we long ago gave up our freedom and our illusory rights in the bargain that brought us civilization its creature comfort its conformity its ghastly and oblivious destruction we were conned. But we didn't know any better, and neither did the con artist who struck the bargain with us. Ladies and gentlemen, the ride is coming to an end. Please remain in your seats. It will be over soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit, you know? And that's kind of what we have to look forward to. That's why, you know, like there's, um, I don't know, if, if, did you read Chip Conrad's book, Are You Useful? No, I haven't read it yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. So, Well, there's one passage in there where he talks to a guy named Victor, and Victor 
not necessarily a human, but just a being, what it means to be wild and free, and what you have to pay for that freedom. Well, there's a price to what pay. What you have to yeah. pay in discomfort, what you have to pay for in in hunger, in cold, mm-hmm. and scars, and injuries, and blood. That all comes along with it. I would argue, what, a pe- what price have people paid today in America in 2020 for freedom? And what price have they paid? Yeah, what price have they paid? What price have they paid? So let's, let's remove the military people out of the equation. Okay, but then let's talk, make sure we have a strict and consistent definition of freedom before we talk about what they gave up as freedom. Ooh, that might be a whole other show or a series of shows. Pretty much. But, I, but it's a valid point. It's a, well, my, my point is that a lot of people have just been skating here and not contributing to the tribe at all. All mm-hmm. they do is take. And now they want, you know, there's a problem, and they just want more, and they want more, and they want more, and they want more. And the working-class people that are paying the bills for all this, there's a breaking point, and we're at it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm in that category. So, you know— wh- What's going to give here? This is um, this is a deep question that no one really has the answer for. But I'm I'm thinking that it's probably not going to go well next year. We might be crying the blues, wishing we were living in 2020. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I um, mentioned at one point uh, to you that um, I think it was that uh, my my little quote that I'm pretty sure I made up, unless you find information to the contrary. Um, Today is the normal we'll be longing for next week. Yeah. Now, I actually think that's that's pretty profound because I, I think I, I, I think you know, especially as we roll into New Year's, man. By the second mm-hmm. by the second week of January, we might be having to do a whole show just on that Michael mm-hmm. Campy aphorism. You know. Yes. Clever little guy that he is. Here's a fascinating quote. I thought of you. I thought you'd be humored by this, especially when you hear the source. Freedom is a very great reality, but it means, above all things, freedom from lies. Freedom from what? Freedom from lies. So, freedom is a very great reality, but it means, above all things, freedom from lies. Mm-hmm. It was written by D.H. Lawrence in Pornography and Obscenity in 1930. Ah, <laughs> oh, D.H. Lawrence. Gotta love him. <laughs> so I would say, based on D.H. Lawrence's definition of freedom, we're not very free because there's a hell of a lot of lying going on right now. Yes, there is. So there you go. We've defined freedom. Yeah. According freedom to pornogra- Pornography lies. and Obscenity in 1930. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Which we had a very... Undeveloped sense of what constituted pornography in in the nineteen thirties. You said nineteen thirty. That was the citation date here. Yeah, that was shortly before they passed. Um, uh, what was it? The, uh, the censorship laws that, that for the movies. Yeah. Well, we know that we we had our good times in the twenties, and I guess maybe he was <clears> kind of looking back on that. Uh, we did. I mean. Little Mikey used to get up in the middle of the night to watch pre-code Tarzan movies because you always got to see James Tiss. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sexual things, it's, it's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. I, 
<laughs> well, it depends on what you're doing on your knees. Dolores uh, Ibaruri said that in a speech in Paris on September 3rd, 1936. I don't know who she is. Uh, the name is I-B-A-R-R-U-R-I. Maybe some of her French fan- oh. friends can define that. Haven't heard of her. Anyway, well... Um, but there's, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, the, the discussion can, I mean, unless it's like, um, when, uh, just, just for a second, let's go back to the freedom to fail. I used to uh, do Olympic weightlifting with a coach in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And one of the things he told me about lifting, especially Olympic lifts, is that you have to be free to fail. Sure. And that's why I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I'm just making this up, so don't anybody quote me on it. But I, one of the reasons for bumper plates is you can dump the weights if you cut a little. You know, if you're lifting it, oh, okay. something that's a little too heavy. I, I mean, mean, if you're I, in the middle of a cleaning, you can't hang with the weight, then you have to dump the load. Okay. Yeah, I'm not an Olympic lift specialist, so that'd be a good question from one of our buddies, though. <clears throat> yeah. So, but, I mean, so that then, was always so the then are good you part. so you're only supposed to use the bumper capability when you lose it. Because a lot of people just throw them down all the time. Because that's because they learned Olympic lifting from CrossFit, and CrossFit sucks. Yeah, yeah. People that understand how to dump a load, and I used to when I taught people, I would say first thing we're going to learn is how to get out from under a squat. Yeah, yeah. First thing we're going to learn is how to take a weight under control back to the ground. Right, it's a control. Throwing a weight down on the ground is ludicrous. It develops, you know, it's just. Stupid, stupid thing to do. You should control it all the way back down. Yeah, I there's a finesse when I lift now um, that I just <clears throat> developed over time from working with a lot of different people and and just and some old school stuff like you know just you know people get on my ass because I wasn't controlling what I was doing. Of course, <clears throat> then the other stuff came out and it was just a bunch of sloppy, stupid shit. But we know where that goes. Oh, it's time for another quote. Maybe we'll get off the topic here. Let's see what can we pull out. Uh, Oh, here's one on communism. JFK wrote this. The most powerful single force in the world today is neither communism nor capitalism, neither the H-bomb nor the guided missile. It is man's eternal desire to be free and independent. So that's something about how JFK defined freedom, and then they, mm-hmm. then they killed him for it. So yeah. <laughs> That's what they do. That's what they do. This is a. Uh, you better enjoy our shows while we're still here before someone puts a bullet in our heads. You know. This is a quote by a guy named Wolfie Landstreicher, and he says, "In a very general way, we know what we want. We want to live as wild, free beings in a world of wild, free beings. The humiliation of having to follow rules, of having to sell our lives away to buy survival." seeing our usurped desires transformed into abstractions and images in order to sell us commodities fills us with rage. How long will we put up with this misery? We want to make this world into a place where our desires can be immediately realized, not just sporadically, but normally. We want to re-eroticize our lives. We want to live not in a dead world of resources, but in a living world of wild, free lovers. We need to start exploring the extent to which we are capable of living these dreams in the present without isolating ourselves. This will give us a clearer understanding of the domination of civilization over our lives, an understanding which will allow us to fight domestication more intensely and so expand. 
expand the extent to which we can live wildly. That is brutal honesty reminiscent of Wilhelm Reich, <coughs> the uh, sexual psychologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would say there's a lot of truth in that. People wouldn't necessarily admit it, but, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's what you see in a wolf when we try to domesticate it. Mm-hmm. It won't cooperate. Right. And, you know, one of the one of the dogs I was looking for was a wolf hybrid at one time. Um, but I read up on it, and the wolf is, owning a wolf hybrid dog is an arrangement, mm-hmm. a cooperative arrangement between you and the animal. Right. You do not dominate that animal. You do not overwhelm that animal's sense. You don't domesticate it, basically. Hmm, interesting. And we, with all our hubris and yeah. pretend, look how great we are, are domesticated. Yes, over-domesticated. And we, and we impose our own slavery. Well, it uh, has enslaved us. The, the domestication and reliance has enslaved us, and this is what a lot of people are concerned now, because the, what we're accepting is, is even more—is getting closer to slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, that, this is the concern with people. Uh, James Baldwin wrote, Freedom is not something that anybody can be given. Freedom mm-hmm. is something people take— and people are as free as they want to be. James Baldwin mm-hmm. wrote that. Notes for a hypothetical novel. Nobody knows my name. Nineteen sixty-one. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could pretty comfortably say nobody knows my name about James Baldwin too, because most people aren't going to know who you're talking about. Well, yes, but you do. Well, he was a very influential um, African American writer in the era of Malcolm X and. Martin Luther King. But he was a fag, Ron. He was a fag. And he was a homosexual. <laughs> and he fled to Paris, <laughs> where he could have more freedom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Einstein, but, um, Einstein wrote, Everything that is really great and inspiring is created by the individual who can labor in freedom. Einstein <laughs> wrote that in, out of my later years, published in 1950. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things, you know, when we lose our freedom, we lose the ability to be creative, according to Einstein. There's a mm-hmm. lot of aspects of this freedom gig, you know? And when you look at the, I mean, if we're talking about the domestication or the, the slavery idea, mm-hmm. what have we done other than impose slavery on ourselves <clears throat> by becoming domesticated? by relinquishing our responsibility for every aspect of maintaining our life, our environment, our families, our tribal group, if you will, um, we've given all that up in exchange, uh, allowing someone else to do it for us. So we don't want to go out and gather acorns. Right. We want to go to the store and buy flour. Yep. We don't want to walk down the street. We want to drive down the street. So we basically relinquished every responsibility that we had as free and wild individuals and exchanged that for dollars. And We've you, given it away. And the slavery, um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's been written in the 20s and 30s that, you know, we, uh, in terms of technology, because we've talked a lot about technology this year in our discussions, that we should be, we should have the machines be our slaves and not slaves to the machine. So mm-hmm. as we've become slaves to the machine this year in particular, 
with all the remote learning and the remote working mm-hmm. and everything, we've lost so much more freedom because now we're we're a slave to the machine. It's mm-hmm. not it's it's we mm-hmm. didn't we didn't follow that uh, that historical warning at all. So that's that's highly concerning at this point. Well, it's like um, like Groucho Marx said in one of their movies, one of their early movies, I think from 1929. He was uh, all the employees were demanding their wages, and Groucho just looked at them and he said, "Well, do you want to be wage slaves?" <laughs> Everyone said, "No." And he goes, "Well, what makes wage slaves? Wages." Mm. <laughs> oh. Speaking of slavery, um, and this this could be good to close the show with today. Gandhi wrote, the moment the slave resolves that he will no longer be a slave, uh his fetters fall. He frees himself and shows the way to others. Freedom and slavery are mental states. Gandhi wrote that in Nonviolence in Peace and War, 1948, the last sentence, freedom and slavery are mental states. Mm -hmm. That we allow to exist Well, as Sebastian Bach wrote in his uh, well, his title of his album a few years ago, "Slave to the Grind." Slave to the what? Slave to the Grind. Mm-hmm. And his um, God, what I should know the name of this band? Sebastian Bach. No, nope. the other one that I'm thinking of. Jello <clears throat> uh, Berfria, Dead Kennedys, Super Tramp. Super Tramp. Super Tramp. Okay. Crisis. What crisis? Crisis, what crisis? Is that the name of one of their songs? I'm not into That's the name of one of their albums. You should take a look at the album. Cover. Okay, I'm not a big Super <clears throat> Trump fan, but... While the world falls apart around us. Crisis, what crisis? Mm. Well, I want a shop. Might need a uh, revisit with that album now. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael. Well, it's it's. Uh, we probably have many more questions and answers, but uh, it, I mm-hmm. think uh, people should be thinking about freedom no matter what mm-hmm. side of the fence or even if they're straddling the fence, it, it's something we should not ignore because it is a hot topic of the day. And I think next year it's even going to be more so front and center. And we Why don't can... you um, go ahead and share this on uh, Renock Donald and James Neidlander's Facebook pages. Okay. See if we can get somebody other than us to listen to it. Yes. Well, the, you or know. moms. Yeah, Ronick has gotten me to think differently about, um, you know, what, how free, how free are we really here? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an uncomfortable thought process, but it's one that I need to have with myself, and I need to read more um, about and and discuss with um, left wing commie bastards like yourself. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, <laughs> that it's, can, it's that, one of the can enlighten me. <laughs> it's one of the things that keeps me talking to you, you right-wing psychopath. <laughs> All right, man, I appreciate you. All right, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, bye. You've been listening to Lean Braves radio show at com. Until next time, keep moving well, to think well, and be strong to be useful. Enjoy your freedom. <laughs> <laughs>